Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. And when you make people laugh, like I said, laughter is the greatest medicine in the world. It's, it's free medicine, and enjoy it. Just make sure you want to do And if you want to be a comedian, that's a, listen to me. You can't want to be a comedian. It's I got to be a comedian. And when you say I got to be a comedian, that means and no bullshit's going to stop me. All right, welcome back to Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. This is a great, great, great day here in Montreal. I am very excited. It's been unbelievable here running into so many great people. And normally I like to come to Montreal with a plan of what's going to happen and set things. And this time I said I'm going to set a few things. But I want to see which old friends I see along the way and see if I can get them to doing this podcast so they can sit in my room slip into an unidentified coma and then come out a few times and mention some good stories about their life that are inspirational. And today, my friends, I have a guy who is one of the most legendary comedians in the history of my generation or any generation. And I'm talking about George Wallace. And it's going to be a great day. Before we start, I want to thank you so much for all the things that you guys have done for this show. It's because of you that we're doing what we're doing and all the things that have happened. It is all due to you. Thank you for your support, your letters, your emails, your tweets, and all the good word all through this festival. I can't even believe how many times that I've been stopped, the people that I've been stopped by, and it's just... I, I, I don't even know. I'm, I'm speechless. It is really humbling, and I'm so grateful it would never happen without any of you guys. Also, if you're on the website, theberrycats.com slash podcast, please click the Amazon banner. You can buy all your products from there. And listen, it's great. You get all your products. They don't charge anything extra. And Amazon, for some reason, they give a little commission to the Jewish Bar Mitzvah Fund. It's beautiful. And so my kids will get their bar mitzvah money from your Amazon donations, which doesn't cost you any money. And what's great is five years later, they'll be using that money to buy Christian Louboutins for their girlfriends. So it's a good thing. 
All right. I always look at my guests and I never know what I'm going to say. And I just go with the flow. And I'm looking at George Wallace and this is what I feel. I feel George Wallace is one of the most warm and kind and lovable and huggable and nicest, generous people in this business. A guy who wants to comment on me saying that and wants to make some kind of joke to diffuse what I just said and to desecrate what I just said about him, but I'm not going to allow him to do it. I am shutting off his mic and I am just giving him all the compliments I can and I'm not just saying it. Uh, when somebody sits across from me, they sit across from me and if there's anything you know about me, I tell <laughs> the truth about my guest. I will never hold back. I will always go toe to toe. I will always name names and tell stories that I think are relevant. And there are many, many people, there's 14 to be exact, who probably won't do the show because they're upset about something that I said or a story that I told that is common knowledge in the business, but they weren't so happy that I rehashed it. But that won't be happening here with George Wallace because, let me tell you something, those of you in the comedy profession, outside of it, and in any other place in any business in the world, it's very rare, whether you're a lawyer, a doctor, who knows, work in a library, manage a 7-Eleven, and you have people working as employees, it's very rare that you find one person who somebody never says a bad word about, never, ever disrespects them, never says, ah, oh, God, that's fucking George Wallace. He's a hack. Ah, oh, I can't stand that guy. He's a phony. He's a bad guy. He says one thing, but he doesn't say another, and he does these horrible things behind my back. He's a passive-aggressive guy. No one in my entire life from the day I started in this business and I knew who George Wallace was until I sit before him right now would ever say a bad word about George Wallace. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, people like George Wallace have 40-year careers and other people that George Wallace started with, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of comedians are now selling cars working in those 7-Elevens, maybe doctor's offices or lawyer's offices. But George Wallace, still relevant, still kicking ass, still carrying money in the palm of his hand to give me after the show for paying me off about this, and still coming up to the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival after 40 years and still getting the call to come up and work with people like Kevin Hart and Louis C.K., and Louis Black, and Aziz Ansari. Show me who you're with, and I'll show you who you are. And that is George Wallace. So that's the first thing I want to point out. The second thing I want to point out is when I first started watching comedy, I remember I used to come home early from school, and I used to watch shows like the Mike Douglas Show, who used to have a daytime show. Mike used to put comedians on. One of the first comedians I ever saw during the day that made me laugh, George Wallace. And I remember a joke he did one time. I'll never forget this because it's amazing what this guy can do and how he can figure out a way to keep relevant, keep creating new and unique material, but also take material that he might have done from 30 years ago or such 
and figure out ways to recreate it, make it relevant, and make it fun, and make the people happy in other generations. So in 1980, I see him do a joke, a little political joke. He's not a political comedian, but sometimes he likes to say a word or two about what's happening in the world. And I'll never forget, he said, I'm in New York City, everybody, and I'm in Central Park. And a guy comes up to me from behind me, and he puts a gun to my head. I think he's going to mug me. He says, Carter or Reagan? Which one you want? And I looked at him and I said, go ahead, shoot me. (laughs) Then 20 years later, I'm watching Letterman. 20 years later, I'm watching Letterman. He's doing this killer set. Amazing. All this new stuff, this new branded name. 20 years later, he's still killing it. And the material I'm blown away by. And then in the middle somewhere, he just slips something in. And he says, it's dangerous here in New York. He's walking through Central Park today. Guy came up to me and mugged me. He pointed a gun to my head. He said, who do you want, Bush or Gore? And I looked at the guy and said, go ahead, shoot me. And I laughed my ass off because I saw how he was able to not be afraid to take certain material he did, reuse it for another generation to enjoy. And so that's the one time where you say to yourself, my God, That's acceptable in comedy, but why don't more people do it? Why don't more people get to show them? And I think back then there wasn't as much internet stuff, YouTube, so you couldn't really see stuff. Now a comedian goes on and does a special, and they don't want to repeat anything. They don't even want to do anything that's similar. But back then, this is the only way you could do it and show people from different generations what you were doing. And I thought that was so amazing. And I just saw George the other night. I went to a Blake Griffin show, of all people. Blake Griffin was out here at the festival. Great guy. Incredibly funny guy. He was doing stand-up hosting. People loved him. Another guy. So wonderful. I'm doing a FaceTime with my son in the green room, just saying goodnight to him. And Blake Griffin comes through after the thing, and he hears me tell my son I love him. And he calls my son's name, and I turn the phone around, And he does a FaceTime with my son for like five minutes. And I'm like, this is the greatest thing in the world. And I realized as I was walking home what Blake Griffin has in common with George Wallace. Nice guy, accessible, tall, good-looking, cut up, ripped. Okay, all right, five out of six. Okay. Anyway, so if there's anything to be gleaned from today's cold open, it's the fact that if you want to do well in this business, if you want to do well in any business, any business you're in at all, anywhere in the world, be a guy who people love. Don't be an asshole. Be a guy who people love to hear what he has to say. Be a guy who stands tall, is kind, generous, sweet, giving, Be somebody, when you leave the room with them and you walk home, you say to yourself, holy shit, I can't believe what an amazing guy that is. And I can't believe that I just saw the words that this guy said on stage and they are just as strong or stronger than they were in 1980 when I first saw him. And 
if you can be somebody out there in the world that really can be that for somebody, be that for a group of people, be that for the people in your office, work so hard. This guy, George Wallace, carries a legal pad everywhere he goes. From the day I saw him, God knows, 35 years ago or 30 years ago, he's carrying a legal pad with writing on it, and he's still doing it. You know what that means, everybody? He's working hard. He's always thinking. If there's anything that comes in his mind, he's always writing it down because he always wants to be the best representation of himself, and he is. And I guarantee you, if you live by these qualities that George Wallace has that I've explained today, you will have the kind of long, powerful, respected career that he's had. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. I like to go way, way back, George. Let's go way back. This is the way back machine. Way back to Sherman and Peabody. Sherman and Peabody. Sherman. And take me back to uh, where you grew up, your family, the socioeconomic situation, and what it was like growing up in those times. And then what was your first inspiration getting into the business. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is George Wallace, born July 21, back in the late, in the 50s, and uh, born to George and Mary Lou Wallace, as you said before. In the 50s? 46, What are you, high? 46, listen, I'm telling this story. (laughs) No, no, you're supposed to I'm fucking this cat, you just hold his tail. Now. (laughs) I want to share something with you. He's going to laugh at me. I don't remember hearing George ever swear or being this like... Isn't that the truth? Listen to me, Barry. It's unbelievable. I, I it's can't time to curse. This. You can't like, this is like nothing I've ever heard of I before. I want to curse. He's and changing brands. I want to curse and, I, and it's, it's, it's so exciting. It's time to curse, you know? <laughs> I want to... You know You know. I want to be like Bernie Mac and I want to try to tell you these motherfuckers ain't going to tell me what to do. You know, I see when I started comedy, right? Then I get back into your story. So we only had three networks. You remember NBC, and the, oh, you had to be clean. So we studied. So it is harder and more uh, to be clean and do comedy. You see, some guys now the the subject is a uh, uh, motherfucker. The, the 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 middle is motherfucker, and the punchline is motherfucker, motherfucker. So I. I've been doing it clean, and it's it's harder to do it, but and I can do it, and I love doing it clean. But I sometimes I think I want to cuss. I'm cussing on this because everybody that listens on the internet, they curse, they cuss. See, see, I'm cool with it. I support you. I endorse this message. But of course, and say when I'm so George Wall ABC, then a lot of people are clean. Joel Osteen may be listening. Why did your parents name you after a racist governor from Alabama? My real name, and I only said this like four or five times in life, my real name is Henry Wallace. My dad is George Wallace. There's nine George Wallaces in my family. So when I got to Los Angeles, when I wanted to join the union, that was already a Henry Wallace. So I had to change my name. I said, well, let's let's do George. Make it a good name. Because my nickname was Governor, Governor George Wallace, the racist. So we got nine George Wallaces. Let's make George Wallace a good name. And I've succeeded. 
Now, if you pay $100 to go see a TV show, you know it's me, the real George Wallace. I'm the real George Wallace now. How about that? Did you ever meet the other George Wallace? I did not, but I met his daughter and son. Came to my show at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas many years ago, and it was nice to meet them. You know, he was not a racist until uh, he wanted to win as governor, and he had to become a racist with the racist uh, people in Alabama. But George Wallace, born in Atlanta, Georgia, my mom was a housekeeper, my dad was a butcher, and growing up in the house, it was all about fun and laughter. I had parents, let me make that perfectly clear first. I grew up, I can't imagine not ever having a father in the home. That is a major problem of what's going on today. But to have a father in the home and a good father that was strict and taught you respect. They taught us respect, no hatred, uh, never been racist or anything like that. Uh, and it was just always happiness in the house. Having a TV in the house and watching Red Skelton. I was six years old. Always wanted to be a comedian since watching Red Skelton. Red Skelton's like, famous routine, if you ever can Google it, Juggler's Gin. Is that right? Yes. Who did it? Clem Cadiddlehopper or did Red do it? I thought it was Red. Okay, because he Clem did all Clem Cadiddlehopper was his character. Well, the characters, yeah, yeah. He was so good. And then I had Milton Berle. I had Johnny Carson. I had Richard Pryor. I had uh, uh, Moms Mabley, Jackie Moms Mabley. I had uh, Judge Pickmeat Markham. I had uh, Flip Wilson. So I had, uh, you know, between the uh, the black and the white community, just anybody telling jokes. Just one of Phyllis Diller uh, and, and Merv Griffin. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. And Johnny Carson, Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show, that's what made The Tonight Show. Comedians would come on and have fun. Every Thursday, you could count on uh, some comedian on The Tonight Show. And Joan Rivers, all of those guys, and uh, just, just, and I would take the jokes when I was a kid, go back to school the next day and make everybody happy. And then that made me happy. When I see happy people, it makes me happier. So then I went on, I said, I want to be a comedian since six years old. Then I, I got out of high school, went to school in Akron. My mom, first of all, my mom passed when I was 16. My dad passed when I was 18. I was on my own. I still wanted to be a comedian. Went to college off University of Akron. Let's back up here. So you lose both your parents within two years. Yeah. How did you survive that? By their teaching and parenting. They taught respect, first of all. Uh, my mom taught us how to, they used to say, I'm not always going to be around here. So they taught you how to cook, how to clean, how to sew, how to do everything. But what they taught was to learn. My dad always taught me, he said, son, Life, he said, get all the education you can. That's what he always told us. And you can make it. Get all the education you can because life is like a shit sandwich. The more bread you have, the less shit you got to eat. And so I knew to go to school even though they were 
passed on. I went to school, University of Akron, Akron, Ohio, first degree in transportation. Now you're going to look at me and say, what transportation? Are you a bus driver? And people fail to realize the number one industry in the world is transportation. People fail the you people don't think about where the shirt come from, the shoes, the lights, the house, the car. Everything had to get to you through some form of transportation. There are five modes of transportation. I'm teaching you something. Look at me when I'm talking to you. They had uh, <laughs> you got air, water, pipeline, rail, and trucking. Then I got a degree in that. Then I said, uh, after that, uh, I was walking out of the library, and I said, this is the last time I'm ever coming back to this damn library. And the next week I had money, like scholarship funds, and I was back in school for marketing and advertising. And then I did that, and uh, I moved to New York City to live my dream, chase my dream. And I went to New York. I, I even studied radio and television broadcasting. And then I, uh, I was vice president of the world's largest outdoor advertising agency, everything at Times Square, the billboards, the spectaculars, all of the transit vehicles in the top 10 markets, not only in New York City, but Boston, Cleveland, Chicago, Detroit, uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco. I did that, but that's when I was uh, selling the advertising. That's when I walked into the comic strip. So a guy named Richie Tinkin, and I said, by the way, Charlie, I put them on the buses. You need to put your business in the street. Put them on the back of the bus. By the way, I have a little comedy act. I said, you do? Come in here tomorrow night and try it. That was on a Thursday. I went on Friday night, and I've been on stage ever since then. Living my dreams. Love what I do. Got the greatest job in the world. Uh, uh, done every TV show, working the movies. My goal in life was just to when I first started, we just wanted to go to Las Vegas, and that's all I I never want to be any TV star, movie star, anything like that. I'm living my dream. They said once, in Las Vegas, some comedians were making, you don't even know who they are. They're making $400,000 a year. I'm going, well, hell, that's good enough for me. That's all I want. And, you know, it's not like, you know, as long as you're going up the mountain, you don't have to be at the top of the mountain because when you get to the top of the mountain, you're pretty much up there by yourself. But when you're in the middle of the mountain, you got a lot of people around you to help you go up or you can fall back down on as a pillow, as a cushion. So, um, Buddy Hackett used to tell me that in 1953, he made $175,000 a week in Vegas. 1953. That's what I'm talking back in the day. Like when I was doing advertising back in the 70s, I pretty much had money. I had a car. I was making like $75,000 then. And but in 53 he was making. But back then he was the biggest comic in the world. When you worked in Vegas, you did this beautiful room that was a 500 seat room, I believe. 750. It, 750. It had the red booths in the yeah, room. Yeah, the yeah. beautiful big booths. They wanted to change that room to making a new room with the, a theater seating. I said, no, people come to Las Vegas. I want them to see the authentic showroom where Simon Davis Jr. worked. It's just so beautiful, that room. And you commanded the stage. I remember I went to see you there. I did a television show with Al Sharpton, believe it or not. Okay. And I, I mentored a guy. The whole goal for me was to mentor somebody who had never been on stage before and get them to write 20 minutes and perform it and open up for you. And they came in, they opened up for you, and they killed, and they yeah. got like a standing ovation. And I felt so great, and you were so wonderful to me. And, uh, and I watched you perform, and I was just blown away by how generous you were. Thank you so much. You're just much too kind. <laughs> now, granted... Obviously, every show that George did in Vegas for 10 years, he didn't sell 750 every seats. Every last show sold out. I told you I'm going to be the greatest bullshit. I'm not going to let you get away with that. So my, we had standing room every night. I was standing. Even the nights when I wasn't there, 
sold out. How many shows a week did you do there? Five nights a week, Tuesday through Saturday. Got it. And I had eight days a week. Can you believe this? I would be on stage uh, Tuesday through Saturday. Saturday night, I'd get off stage at 11 o'clock. I'd be on an airplane midnight. I'd be in New York City, 6 o'clock the next morning. I'd be in New York Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Leave New York Tuesday at 6 o'clock, be back in Vegas at 8, be on stage at 9 o'clock. Why? Sorry? Why didn't you just give up the New York place and just relax in Vegas instead of taking that travel? I love New York. Don't you like to go home sometime? I'm home, buddy. I'm with you. Well, this is true. So that's why I would go back to New York. And also, I got to work the clubs again. It's nice to go out and work. It's still nice to work the clubs. Do your little Why jokes. would you want to go back to New York and share the couch with Jerry Seinfeld at the stage of your life? Have you ever lived in New York? New York is great. <laughs> I lived in New York for a long time. Lincoln you know Towers. I, I had a comedy club Lincoln there. Tower? Yeah, I had a comedy club there for 17 oh, years. Man, yeah. So I lived that on you the never West showed side. up at. No, I'm sorry. You worked there. I you came in. Did I come in? You came in I don't Tuesday. remember. The Boston Comedy Club. Oh, yeah, I came in there? Of course of you course. did. Of course. Yeah. Well, you lived at the Boston Comedy Club. It was downtown. Yeah. Yeah, and I lived yeah. at Lincoln Towers okay. uptown. On the west side. Yes, yeah. of course. So, um, yeah, so I would, I would do that. And I was in Las Vegas. I went for 30 days. Turned out to be a 10-year run. And it was because of uh, my experience in advertising. Uh, you would uh, land in Las Vegas, you saw my name more than any other entertainer in Las Vegas because I knew advertising, I knew how to budget, I knew how to schedule the advertising. Even the trucks, used to have trucks, five trucks back to back to back to back to back going down Las Vegas Boulevard. And some people say, he's such an idiot. Why you got five trucks going back to back to back to back? That's what they would always ask me. What I said to them was, you did ask about it, didn't you? That's right. The people that only have one truck, you did not say anything about them. I did it because it attracts attention. That's boy, what you got to do. You got to be different. But what you did more than anything else is you made sure you got the reviewers in in the preview week as much as you could. And then when you met with them afterwards, you created a wonderful impression. You gave them a great show. And whenever anybody came to Vegas and they saw the ad, the reviews for your show were extraordinary, and they called you New Mr. Vegas. But not only that, what I would do is every three months, I would go visit the concierge at every hotel and still invite them back again. Invite them back always constantly because there's always people are changing jobs, always making them feel and knowing what a good show it is. So they can sell the show. If somebody wanted to see comedy, right off the bat, go see George Wallace. And then I started giving away things because I wanted to be like Oprah. I wanted to be a rich black lady. <laughs> so and uh and then i was there for 10 years and uh, we decided to it's time to very successful 10 years we made we, we didn't lose any money of what i did the first time i was there i took all the money and invested it back into the brand and to an advertise and made the show work didn't take a dime for the first six months didn't take a dime yep nope put it all back out in the streets you got to grow in las vegas doesn't matter who you are I don't give. I don't care what your name is in Las Vegas. It's not about your name because your tickets are not going to be sold by your name. Your tickets got to be sold by Vegas.com or any of the, the the timeshare people. That's who buy the tickets in Las Vegas. That's why you see big acts go to Las Vegas and leave big Broadway productions and leave because they don't know how to market. It's amazing. How are you with the new media, like with Twitter and Facebook? You are used to a different kind of advertising. You were an expert at a different kind of advertising and media. And now today, 
there's a whole different kind of media. Have you been able to make the transition or not? Yes, it took me a while to learn because I'm old school, but my manager was adamant about changing over to social media. And the one I, here you know, sleeping on the floor? No, he's sleeping. Don't wake him up because okay. I don't want him to hear it. But, yeah, it's, and, and now we're in and, and to, uh, Facebook. I, Facebook is so much BS on so much bullshit on there. Here's what I do. I just delete, 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 delete. Something I just don't want to hear that. must explain why I didn't get a hold of you before this festival. Probably. You deleted if you tweet me out, I'm good at tweeting. Okay. Okay, I was voted top 25 funniest tweeters by Rolling Stone magazine. And number one by Playboy. I didn't even know they were still in business. <laughs> must, must have been the pictures of your tallywhacker that got them going. My tallywhacker and Playboy is on page 59, 62, 63. <laughs> in my whole life from birth until now... I have never used the word tallywhacker until today. Well, that's an older expression, but uh, uh, life has been great. I'm the most successful person you've ever met. It's not how much money you make, it's how you enjoy your life while you're living. I can do it. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Anything on, and I, you know, I'm teaching kids now, the new thing I'm teaching kids now, make enough money, live your dream, uh, honor your essence, if you have a passion for something, go for it, and work until you get that F you money. F you money is the greatest money in the world. Nobody can tell you what to do, when to do it, or how to do it. I have F you money. I had a wonderful time. What's the biggest check you ever got for one gig? 129. Why 129? Is that a Jewish thing in 18s? No, you asked me what's the biggest check, 129,000. And when you got that, did you say, finally, I got fuck you money? No, it took long. You got, no, 129,000, not fuck you money. It is for There's me. There's something wrong with you. <laughs> You got to make millions before you have. Uh, you got to make millions. Well, no, you got to make. No, I, You're the I'm, first I'm person who has I'm called wrong. me an idiot and said, "What's wrong with me?" It's awful. I thought I was bringing you in. You're going to be the nicest guy to me. How and you're, old were you? You are a mean, mind? mean, large man to me. You're horrible. How I old were you when your mind just got up and walked away from you, Barry? <laughs> There's something wrong with you. You have crushed me like a bug during this interview. I could give a shit. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I could give a rat's ass. Did you hear me do that joke last night? I could give a rat's ass. Why the, 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 is, the, is the rat's ass less valuable than other parts of the rat, rat's body? Huh? People say stupid shit, don't they? A little birdie told me. I heard a new term the other day. A murder of 
Crows. I never knew heard that before. A murder means like a flock of sheep. You look at your manager shaking and say, it's a lot of, I got a lot of shit to learn, man. A murder of crows. Why did they put that on the blackbirds? <laughs> this, this is not right. Because doves don't really murder. They just cry. This is what it sounds like when doves cry. Famous guy named Prince wrote that song. Love that guy. He's dead. They cremated him the next day. I think that was a cause of death. Cremation? <laughs> Let's talk about the people that you've lost in your life that are great entertainers and the people that have made the mark on you and they're no longer with us. Do you mind sharing a few stories of some people that you remember from the past? Ooh, let's hit one right now. Yes. Gary Shandling. Please. I was at the memorial. It was amazing. Oh, my God. I did not make it. Gary Shandling, what a great guy and a great friend. Uh, we were running partners. Gary Shandling was such a great friend of mine. We ran the street together and... Uh, uh, we did some writing together, and then as we both became successful, you know, you don't see each other as much because you're going in one direction, and I was always on the road. He chose to stay in and do Larry Sanders and shows like that, and uh, uh, that's one guy on the list, you know. But I work with Natalie Cole. I work with a lot of people. Muhammad Ali. Uh, Muhammad Ali. I was friends with Muhammad Ali. So many people. I just gonna. I was at Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s funeral. Um, uh, of course, my mom and dad and my parents and, and everybody that died before me. A lot of people died before me. I wrote for Red Fox. He died, and I, I didn't know him that well, but I did know him. Uh, but he did have an influence on me. All right, six degrees of separation, George. I'm going to mention a name of somebody, and you say whatever comes to mind. Jay Leno. Fantastic guy. As nice as you can be. Work, work, work. Workaholic. Workaholic did is either working on jokes or working on a car. Great guy. Nothing bad you can say about Jay Leno. Judd Apatow. Judd Apatow, what a wonderful guy. From day one, I think I knew Judd maybe the first day he walked on stage in Los Angeles. Great guy. Now he's producing and, and making great film, and, and he's just a good guy. And I still think he's a kid. Richard Pryor. Greatest comedian to ever walk to earth. But although I'm walk, I'm, although I'm watching Bernie Mac now, and he's become, I'm like, it's Bernie Mac. Richard Pryor was the first black guy to like uh, really have substance and 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 um, uh, I don't even know how to say it, but uh, uh, social uh, ills and telling how we were living and just uh, comedy into the the black lives and and, and white people could uh, relate to it. So Rich Pryor is the greatest comedian, but Bernie Mac is, if you watch him and his cadence now, and go back and look at some of his work, and you go like, Bernie Mac is pretty good. And somebody's going to say, well, he was no Richard Pryor, but just take a look at him. Watch the good. first Def Jam that yeah. Bill Bellamy was on where he said, I ain't scared of you, motherfucker. I ain't scared of you, motherfucker. Incredible. Right? Incredible. The colors he wore, Bernie Mac was great. Uh, the Coen Brothers. Wonderful. I did a movie with them. Everybody would like to work with the Coen Brothers. I did a movie called The Lady Killers. And uh, these guys know how to make a movie, man. You know, you shoot something. And you go movies, they do like sometimes 10 to 12 different shots. Okay, let's reshoot this. Let's redo it. These guys are quick, man. Are you, they would ask the actor, are you satisfied? Because we are. And they would move on. And they come in on the budget, and they got it done. And they just wonderful guys. Work. People would work with the Corn Brothers just to say, I was in a Corn Brothers film. David Letterman. David Letterman, quiet guy. Nobody still knows him to this day by himself but he's a great guy eddie my, murphy eddie murphy crazy young guy I learned a lot from him i learned eddie murphy when he was first starting we went to uh uh 
a record store one day, Tower Records, I think, in New York City. Uh, 66th and Broadway. How do you know about this? That's exactly where it was. Because I know your history. I study you, George. Listen to me. And Pavarotti, the opera singer, he was there signing books. Eddie Murphy was in the store. I was in the store. And I heard a big corruption over in the back of the store. It was Eddie Murphy making noise while Pavarotti was signing books. And they were trying to quiet him down. And it just like he was just like, I don't give a damn. I don't just make a noise like that. And uh, come to find out, it's kind of like it was done on purpose. It made the news. It's kind of like, it's okay. And he said, it's okay, you know. Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson, very quiet. Not sure he was very uh, uh, into black people. Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis. Uh, didn't know much about him. I just know. Uh, well, you did the telethon. Well, he did. I know that, you know, doing the telethon. for, And I did the tel- telethon with him many a time. I know. You know? But he was kind of quiet. Uh, uh, one time I gave a lot of money, and he was just really so happy. And at the end of his career, I didn't give as much money. And he went, okay, George, while the stickers I'm alone, just put it. <laughs> <laughs> Magic Johnson. Oh, great guy. Go to church with him every Sunday. He's a good friend of mine. Love Magic Johnson. Uh, 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 giving guy. The late Robin Williams. The late Robin Williams. Robin used to call me the Reverend. I used to follow him on stage. I used to follow Robin Williams and Richard Pryor on stage at the Comedy Store every night. What a great guy Robin was. Robin was a quiet. Uh, uh, I found out last night. You know, he was known for borrowing material when he first started. Oh, uh, but he was still the, one of the greatest of all time. His mind was just quick, quick, quick. Great guy. Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby. I met him once. You know, from what I can remember. <laughs> Listen to me. <laughs> Listen, the people in the industry knew that Bill Cosby had all of these girls, right? It was a known story. Everybody knew that. I, I think it was even in his contract that he had to have certain girls back there. But we didn't know about the drug part. And I feel sorry for him that his career ended like that. But I really feel bad about that. And, uh, and then I was thinking uh, maybe he didn't do it. But when he walked out going to court one day he had a cane and he was blind all of a sudden i'm going oh he's full of shit now because you know so uh the truth is the truth jerry seinfeld idiot <laughs> idiot idiot like i said best man in his wedding i'm the father of his kids he's an idiot <laughs> jerry seinfeld is a great guy he's taught me a lot uh i've taught him a lot i'm glad i, I haven't talked to him today and uh, uh, I'm sure I will. I'm going to mention his name was brought up by yours truly. He's going to go, oh, that guy. <laughs> but he's a great guy, and I wish everybody had a friend like Jerry Seinfeld. He's done wonderful, huh? The number one sitcom of all times. Now he reinvented himself with uh, uh, Comedian in Cars Getting Coffee. We did the most expensive uh, most expensive uh, Comedian in Cars Getting Coffee in Las Vegas. He came to do it. Uh, with me uh just great and i uh like i said 40 years and his family's great the kids are great uh my best friend awesome your proudest moment in show business working just working in las vegas my private moment could be any night and every night i just love what i do uh proudest moment in show business Man, I had some great things that happened to me from uh, William Shatner coming to the show to Prince coming to the show, coming up on stage to Tom Jones, Chris Rock, Chris Tucker. I had the show in Las Vegas where everybody would 
come and visit me, Vegas like it used to be. So many proud moments. I've been to Robin Island when Nelson Mandela was incarcerated. I, like I said, I was at, uh, it's just so many great things, meeting Muhammad Ali. Uh, and when I leave here, I can think of so many other things. It's, it's been so many proud moments. Biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. The biggest disappointment in show business. I don't know because I'm still having fun. I'm still learning. Okay, last question. What advice would you have for the young comedian growing up in an area where maybe things weren't comedic, maybe doing odd jobs, maybe being in transit, maybe something they didn't know what they were doing, and you've seen so many comedians, so many great people come up, so many young people that became superstars. What are the qualities that somebody needs to have to get to the next level? If you want to be a comedian, just be true to yourself. You know it's a lot of work. And I want to tell you the most important thing, I'll make this short because I could talk forever. This is the most important question of the whole podcast. This is the most important answer. All comedians out there, if you want to be a comedian, make sure you're true to yourself, make sure you're ready to work, and make sure you enjoy what you do. Enjoy your life. But here's the most important thing. If you can put up with bullshit, because 80% of being an entertainer, there's a lot of bullshit and a lot of detours. If you can put, it's, it's pretty much, you know, it doesn't matter how big you are. There's going to be some bullshit. People trying to stop you, pull you down. And if you love what you do and you achieve a level of success, just knocking that bullshit out of the way. You, and don't be jealous of what other people are doing. Uh, so many comedians going, why did he get the job? Don't worry about that. Each career has a different direction. Be you. Be honest to yourself. Honor your essence. Get out there and work. Have a good time. Make people happy. Make people uh, laugh. And when you make people laugh, like I said, laughter is the greatest medicine in the world. It's, it's free medicine. And enjoy it. Just make sure you want to do. And if you want to be a comedian, that's a, listen to me. You can't want to be a comedian. It's I got to be a comedian. And when you say, I got to be a comedian, that means and no bullshit's going to stop me. George Wallace, you have been a force of nature. Thank you so much for doing this. I you know have been you'd... a pain in the ass, Barry. <laughs> and I didn't go behind your back, and I told you right in your face, you're a pain in the ass. <laughs> you told me to come up here for 50 minutes. I've been here for two fucking hours. <laughs> I got to pee. I'm old. You know, an old man has to pee after 30 minutes. Thank and you. I did pee sitting here. <laughs> Thanks, George. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going for Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Fortunate
Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.